start jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. You should be able to hear the magnetic resonance This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into the worlds of science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I am your host, Gene Turnbow. And I am your other host, Susan Fox. And with us is a comic creative in multiple senses of the term, both of the graphic novel and of the comedy type. I should say, bon vivant and person around town, Ben Patton. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Yeah, it's great to have you back. We we had you on ages and ages ago when we were first talking about jump leads. Yes, uh, 100,000 years ago um, in, I want to say, was it 2015? Thereabouts. That sounds about right. That was a long time ago because uh, originally it was going to be, I was going to do it as like a a bi-monthly podcast. And then I did this thing instead where I had a breakdown and Mm -hmm. uh, put that on hold for seven, seven years. And now it's finally happening. It's, it's, uh, it's finally hitting, hitting the airwaves as it were. For those of you who are podcast aficionados, it will be available uh, the first episode goes up on April 26th. We've heard the first episode, and it is delightful. Shall we share the promo with the world right here, right now? Sure thing. Policing an infinite expanse of ever-growing parallel universes is no picnic. You'll have to prepare for every possibility. Cows? No, no, not cows! Not cows! As well as every implausibility. Is this... A church full of robots? Yes. Okay, I may need a minute to process that. And more than a few impossibilities. Dinosaur. T-Rex. Yes. With a knife. I'd noticed. You must be Llewellyn. I've heard about you. He's been repeating these exercises for the last four years. I'll give it another year before I drop out and get a job in a telephone call center. Which means you must be... Cadet Beanie, sir? We should get out there, explore strange new universes, seek out new life forms and civilizations. Eventually, yes! No time like the present. There's plenty of times like the present. Don't be pleased! They're trying to... They vaporized him! We were supposed to rescue that man, and they killed him! Is that considered a failing mark? I think passing this exercise has taken a bit of a backseat to, I don't know, not dying! No one notices the cleaning staff scene. I've been around, learning things a man ought to know about a place like this. Jump Leads, a sci-fi comedy audio play series, launching this spring at jumpleads.zone. 
or wherever you get your podcasts. Isn't this exciting? I'm excited. Oh, absolutely. I haven't been this excited since I went to my grandmother's funeral. <laughs> what I like about the show, what I'll, you can tell from the promo what the production value is going to be like, and it is absolutely top shelf. Absolutely oh, top shelf. And we've heard the first episode of it as well, and it is right there. It's right there at that quality bar. And uh, there have been a few changes in the storyline, however. Yes, yes, absolutely. So um, for those of your listeners who are not aware, Jump Leads is a sci-fi comedy. Uh, it started off life as a webcomic. Actually, going back even further, it started off life as, as a spec script. Spec script? A script that I wrote for a pilot that I sent to the BBC back when I was still living in the UK, uh, when I was, God, 19, 20 years old. And they sent me back a very nice letter saying, this isn't quite good enough. And I said, well, I'll show you. I'll make it a comic. Um, so we did it as a webcomic. My friend Eugene, uh, a wonderful, wonderful uh, artist out in uh, Russia, um, he did the artwork. We did it as a webcomic for several years. I had a couple of friends uh, joining me as writers on the comic. We had kind of a writer's room set up. And then uh, the comic ended in 2013. And even before then, I'd wanted to do audio stuff. I'd wanted to do kind of audio adventures as kind of a spin-off thing. And it occurred to me with the comic ending that I could kind of reboot it as, as an audio series. Um, and this gives me an opportunity to go in and make some changes, like tweaks. Because I was 20, 19 and 20 years old when I came up with the core premise. And I think the writing on the comic some of the ideas were not quite there yet and i've mm-hmm. had you know over a decade and a half to kind of ruminate on those ideas and tweak and adjust and so the audio plays are kind of me taking the core ideas that i had in my early 20s and kind of revisiting them giving them the kind of terry pratchett carpet people approach where he went back and uh edited a book that he wrote when he was in his teens mm-hmm. uh, and and just kind of fixing stuff that didn't quite work for me now and um punching up the dialogue and just kind of really making it more fun to listen to especially because because it is now a fully audio medium um you know there are some things that you do in a comic that don't necessarily play in audio so it was all about trying to make it Mm -hmm. flow in 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 those terms but also again just trying to bring that energy to it and I, I i think i think i've done a good job but i'm biased because i'm the person who wrote the bloody thing yeah but the the snark is sur- supreme <laughs> oh absolutely i mean my biggest influences are you know for this were you know i grew up watching doctor who and uh red dwarf hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy um a lot of british comedies and sitcoms like that was my bread and but blackadder as a, as a mm, kid you mm-hmm. know growing up in the uk these are things that kind of seeped into my dna so the the whole premise of jump leaves the reason i came up with it it was you know futurama was off the air red dwarf had been off the air for Mm -hmm. five six years and it didn't look like it was coming back the hitchhiker's guide movie had just come out and hadn't done as well as uh as i think disney were expecting um i'm going to repeat that because i just got a text message uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide movie had just come out and hadn't done quite as well as I think Disney were expecting, so prospects were slim on you know the idea of maybe doing a sequel. And so I kind of felt like there was this um, lull in sci-fi comedy, and I wanted to write something that had the punch, that had the punch of something like you know Red Dwarf very specifically because that's one of my all-time favorite shows. 
um, and I've you know I work very hard in the writing to kind of keep that um, that kind of snark and interplay between the two the two main characters on the show and uh, and that really shows uh, we as as I mentioned earlier uh, Susan and I listened to episode one uh, when the the your two characters Meanie and uh, Llewellyn Llewellyn uh, managed to get themselves lost on a broken jump ship and uh, uh, the writing is just wow the characterizations are wonderful and they're immersive and uh, uh, it everything the, the tensions are right and everything flows you know some writers can write wonderful dialogue on paper but you can't pronounce it you know, <laughs> And and you did not have that problem at all. It just uh, uh, it was so good. Thank you. Thank I'm, you I'm really Thanks looking forward to to hearing the rest of these. Well, we'll have to start listening on uh, April eighth, just like everybody else. April twenty sixth. April twenty sixth. It's dropping on my from? birthday this year. Happy uh-huh. birthday. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thank so you. Are, you, are you releasing them one per week or uh, the release schedule or are you, you letting people binge them all or how is it going to work? So the plan is there's six episodes this season. I, I've gone full BBC with it. So it's going to be a short season of six episodes. We're going to do one a week for six weeks um, and they're going to drop on the, the same day every week. I think April 26th is a Wednesday. So it's going to be every Wednesday at 8 a.m. is when the episodes will drop. They're all about 30 to 40 minutes long. Uh, they're kind of standalone. There's not much in the way of arc going on, um, but uh, which yeah, means you I've, could you could pick any one of them up and listen to it and be okay. Yeah, there's there's not much in. The, I mean, it, it's again, I I, go, I fall back to Red Dwarf in terms of like the structure because you can. I think you could watch like Golden Age BBC era Red uh, Red Dwarf. You can kind of pick an episode and, and jump in there. And there's not a lot that you need to watch before to understand what's going on later. And with this, I've kind of taken that same approach. There are a couple of like nods to previous episodes, but there's nothing that really, you don't need to have listened to everything that comes before to enjoy what, what comes after. Now, uh, Mimi seems to be a, either a boy soprano or has, has become a girl. Yes. So in the original webcomic, uh, Meany and Llewellyn were both male. And I made the decision very early on. I say very early on. It was like 2013, 2014, um, when I decided to kind of reboot the thing um, to make Meany a woman. And that was uh, largely because I think my own experience has expanded. Um, I didn't want to make a sh- I didn't want to make yet another show about two guys um, going off and having sci-fi adventures. I was hesitant to just switch Meanie's gender without making any other changes. And I did speak to a couple of friends about it. And one of my friends, um, my friend Pascal, who is a uh, also a, a, a webcomic uh, person, um, she said that there aren't a lot of female characters like Meanie who are allowed to be kind of unashamedly, unabashedly enthusiastic and excited about what they do and about that have you know about what they want to be um and one of the things that really just convinced me that that was the right decision was when i asked my friend marissa marissa mizell who voices meanie in the audios i asked her to read for it and she absolutely knocked it out of the park like i i've heard mm-hmm. a couple of people do reads for meanie of uh or i had heard a couple of people uh, do reads for meanie of uh you know varying genders and uh, Marissa's performance was the only one that captured the energy of the character that's been living in my head for 
nearly two decades so there was really no no choice as far as i was concerned like it had to be her and um and that was that really cinched it you know it, me i think i think it's an it changes the dynamic a little bit because when you have a character llewellyn who is the other character I, I voiced on the show as well um he's he's bitter he's cynical he's mean he's very mean he, he is bullies. very mean yeah he bullies meanie and the when you change meanie from a male to a female that the the context of that changes um and which is why i think with the audios i i worked harder to i made meanie smarter i think meanie is in the comics i think there are a couple of places where i write i wrote him too stupid so i in the audios i made a conscious decision that you know meanie is not stupid meanie is not you know naive meanie is a hope is hopeful meanie is a hopeful optimistic person she wants to believe in the best of people and she will work to help them if she thinks it will help them achieve you know that the goodness that she believes that they have and i think that's a key part of of her character <laughs> and i think that that also is an important part of the dynamic between her and, and llewellyn because i think that he, he um, desperately does not want to he just wants to be go home and be left alone for the most part yeah i mean Llewellyn's thing is he wants to sit on a beach drinking martinis and not really have to worry about anything and I think that Meanie sees something in Llewellyn that Llewellyn doesn't see you know I mean mm -hmm. all, all writers kind of write what they know Meanie and Llewellyn um, are both kind of different aspects of my own personality I, I, you know I've been Llewellyn I've been particularly in my 20s the kind of bitter cynical negative it's never going to work what's the point person and i have been and i try to be meanie i try to be hopeful i try to be optimistic i try to you know aim for the best um i think realistically i'm kind of a mix of the two but like i i strive to be meanie as as much as is possible and i think that the two personalities kind of balance each other well i think so too uh, the difference between the two characters I think broadens the possibilities in terms of uh, uh, plot complications and, and character arcs uh, within the stories um, mm. because because you always have this uh, this tension you know uh, the way the way Meanie was in the comics uh, Llewellyn and and uh, Meanie didn't get along so much there because Meanie was kind of a dummy and kept stumbling into things because he just wasn't paying attention. But in this case, it's there's an opportunity to drag Llewellyn kicking and screaming into becoming a better person. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's what she thinks. I'm not sure that Llewellyn's going to uh, cooperate with yeah, this. Yeah, but the potential is there, is what I'm saying. As, and uh, uh, that's a good deal more interesting and a d good deal more complicated than, uh, than the original, more simpler approach, more simple approach to it. Absolutely. I, I think that it's, it's a different dynamic uh, from the comics, but it's an improvement, I feel. Because in the comics, I felt like, I always had to come up with a reason why they were stuck in the universe that they were in. Sliders, I, I, God bless the creators of Sliders, because they gave themselves an easy fix. It's, oh, our, our sliding device is on a timer, so we have to be stuck here for how long till the next commercial? 14 minutes. Whereas <laughs> with, with jump leads in the comic, I always, you know, they, they arrive somewhere and they almost immediately get arrested, or they get pulled into hijinks. And with the audios now, with, with Meanie being 
you know, kind of wide-eyed and optimistic and adventurous and wanting to get out there and see the universe, which, if you've listened to the first episode, that's Llewellyn's fault. That's Llewellyn trying to convince Meanie, well, we don't have to go back home because he doesn't want to go back home. And he accidentally mm-hmm. kind of creates the Meanie in the comic, in a way. Um, right, right, yeah. Yeah. So when they land somewhere and Llewellyn's like, I don't want to be here, Meanie's reaction is tough. We are going to have an adventure now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a it's it's an uh, a more interesting hook for getting those characters into adventures, and it creates a tent like you said, as you said, Gene, it creates a tension between the two that wouldn't otherwise uh, that wouldn't otherwise be there. Well, sometimes it's you know the opposites, have, you know, striking sparks off each other that that create a story. Mm-hmm. You know, Lister and Rimmer. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, Rimmer. I mean, that's... Rimmer was the one one uh, character on on the on board the Red Dwarf who would keep Rim- Lister engaged and his mind working instead of just sliding into a Vindaloo, you know, <laughs> Vindaloo pit. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I I'm not <laughs> you know going to sugarcoat or exaggerate when I say that Mimi and Llewellyn kind of started up when I first came up with the characters in my early, you know, like, like I said, I was 19 or 20 years old. I just took the personalities of Rimmer and Lister and shuffled some aspects around. So you have, yeah. you know, Llewellyn is not miles away from Rimmer, where Rimmer was on Red Dwarf, but Llewellyn kind of started off in the comics as, what if Llewellyn, uh, well, what if Rimmer didn't have the career drive but was still kind of a git? Uh, whereas <laughs> Mimi was... Meany was kind of what if Lister had that kind of the same kind of chipper optimism that that Lister has, um, but also had Rimmer's career drive, and that kind of okay. is a very simple place to start from in my twenties. That's kind of where those characters kind of got their start from. But over the last two decades, they've definitely kind of grown and become uh, much more. I hope they've become more nuanced than, than and than, and and named for one of them's named for one of the red dwarf actors. Like yeah, we weren't I mean, going to catch you at the naming <laughs> of names here. Yeah, I mean Llewellyn was named after Robert Llewellyn, who played Crichton, the second Crichton on the the uh, on Red Dwarf, and Meany is named after Colin Meany. That's what I thought. Brian. Yes, <laughs> and you know I've. I, I don't know if you're going to recycle any of the other surnames from the comics, but since it seems to have divul- diverged into a, an alternate universe, but there were names like Nimoy and Tudyk and Lucas. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's subtle. <laughs> yeah, I, I, my early 20s, again, I was not uh, not the king of subtlety at the time, and my, my thought process was, well, I'm going to name every character after a notable figure from the world of sci-fi and fantasy and I, I keep the, the iconic characters from the comic the ones that fans will be looking out for I have kept those names um, episode episode one has Cap, you know Captain Lucas is there and yep. uh, Captain Whedon is there Captain Whedon in the comics uh, kind of pompous arrogant full of himself still very much the way in the audios did I see something that no one else saw at the time who knows who can say I can't because I didn't um, but it, the name the name has just become more fitting as the more we've learned uh, about the creator of Firefly. Um, but with with other stuff, there's one other character who was kind of a big deal in a couple of issues of Jump Leads near the end of its run, who does make an appearance in the last episode of the season. 
Um, and I know that f- if there are any fans still of the webcomic, I know that they're there because they occasionally post on Facebook and tweet at me and so on. But uh, I know that they'll be excited to see this camera, this this character make his new first appearance. I'm excited to kind of you know see the reaction to that. I love the uh, the original captain of the uh, the flurry. And it's just the the the, the, the here, casting here. of Lucas is perfect. Yeah, yeah. It's just, just crusty old sea captain. It's oh, it's so good. So but crusty. My my friend, I, my friend Dino Andrade, who is, he's one of the first friends I made when I came to this country back in 2007. He's a voice actor. You've heard his voice all over the place. He was the Scarecrow in Batman: Arkham Asylum. He is a ton of characters in World of Warcraft. Have we he, talked to him? Because that name I sounds. I don't think familiar. so. I don't think we so. We should. No. I'll, I'll 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 connect you up. But yeah, like he, he has a, a long and storied career in animation and video games and anime, and um, he was one of the big supporters of uh, Jump Leads when we first started doing doing this. Him and my friend Sean Lyle were both huge, huge supporters, and Dino agreed to come and play with us and uh, lent his voice to uh, to Captain Lucas. And to a janitor, Higgs the janitor, who's a new character. Oh yeah, I I loved him. What what a self important pumped up little prick. I <laughs> I I love that character so much, and I did not hear his voice when I was writing him, uh, but I knew I wanted Dino to play him, and the voice that Dino brought was like it was like you know it was like diluted foul old Ron from from the Terry Pratchett novels. <laughs> um, it was just such a wonderful, visceral performance. Oh yeah, it was great. I, he, he's constantly trying to pull a fast one over on the cadets. It's great. It's great, and it's also you a way of himself um, up. In the, the story that he tells as well is a story that uh, Llewellyn tells Meanie in the original comic version. I kind of wanted to take that away from Llewellyn and have that be an aspect that is. Um, that they both learn at the same time, and the fact that it's the story is the one that in the in the audios, Llewellyn knows this story and uh, knows that it's from an old movie that he saw as a kid. Um, that adds an element of well, now maybe it's maybe it's nonsense, maybe it's maybe it's just a load of old rubbish being told to us by a janitor with a wet mop. Um, and, but you never know, you never know that that might show up in a later episode. Who can say? I can. And well, I'm not going to. Well, and uh, the whole the whole premise is jumping from parallel universe to parallel universe, and who's to say that it's it's a movie plot in one and really happened in another? Who's Didn't to say? we just see yeah. that in Everything Everywhere All at Once? Yeah, Rakakuni. <laughs> Rakakuni. <That's>, <laughs> and I she have... got it. She got it wrong. And of course, there had to be a universe that, where that, it was right. That, where it was, she was right. Yeah, I, I love that so much. And one of the things I've really loved about um, the concept of parallel universes has become so mainstream over the last two, three years. Right. I, I can't uh, believe that normal people yeah. even understood that movie. To be people, honest, people get. The concept of parallel universes. Marvel, Marvel has done it. Star Trek has, uh, you know, been playing with it a lot more of late, particularly with like the first season of Discovery. Yeah, uh, but, but Mirror I, I, Mirror was nineteen sixty seven, so you know the groundwork was there. Yeah, uh, I, I've always been fascinated by you know I mentioned sliders you know earlier sliders, in the interview, yeah. but like I I've always loved the idea of parallel universes, and I, I've always been I've always understood why in fiction it's always like well there's uh, you know 
are so many parallel universes, but here are the main ones. Um, and my my approach to parallel universes is if there are infinite parallel universes, and that means there's also infinite universes that are basically the same as a subset of the larger multiverse. Yeah. Um, and so there is a a concept that we came up with for the comics that it doesn't really matter whether you're able to actually save a universe or not, because if it gets destroyed, there's a billion other universes that are functionally identical. Um, and that's a concept I don't play with as much in the first season, but it is definitely something that's kind uh, that of, I'll be touching kind on. kind of a nihilistic idea. Well, it is, but I mean, yeah. you know, if, if I painted my house blue instead of green, it affects absolutely nobody else in the universe, but it's, a, you know, it's one of a billion of almost the mm-hmm. same universe. Well, and that's what uh, the whole thing about um, the the parallel universes thing, it all stem- came from the the discovery in physics that uh, um, that there isn't just one timeline. You know, it's all, it's this cluster of branching. It's a cluster, all right. Yeah, a cluster <laughs> of branching bifurcations. Every time somebody makes a decision, it spawns a new universe. Why is it limited to bifurcations? It could, you know, people make have to make decisions with more than one Well, yes, outcome. There, yeah, and there you go. Well, uh, that's, that's always been one of the things that I've... Uh, people talk about parallel universes hinging on a decision, but that's not really true because you're not the only one making a decision in that moment. And it's not always about the decision. It's how long did it take you to make the decision? Are you mo- like right now I'm, I'm talking, you can't see it and your listeners can't see it. I'm moving my hands when I talk. I could move my hands in a slightly different way based on how the neurons in my brain fire or how the, the muscles in my uh, and ligaments in my arms and what have you uh, responds to those neurons. So there, there are an infinite number of parallel universes where we're recording basically the same show, but my hands are moving slightly differently. And I'll tell you, it's very difficult to make that exciting, but gosh darn it, I'm going to try for the second season. <laughs> well, and that, and that's, uh, it gets around the, um, the grandfather paradox. You know, if I go back in time and kill my own grandfather, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and it turns out it doesn't work that way at all because time is relative to the observer. Yeah. So, you know, you experience your timeline and what you go back in time and then you go forward and, and, but your timeline is unbroken. It hasn't looped back at all. Yeah. Yeah. It breaks for time travel because the timeline was very much from Marty and Doc's perspective, even when Biff traveled back in time in the second movie and changed the past, he still has a future uh, 2015 to travel back to because this, our, our point of view characters are, are Doc Brown and, and Marty. So that's that's that works from a from a, a fictional perspective. I did I did make a rule in Jump Leads that time travel is not possible. It is possible to break the speed of reality. It is not possible to break the speed of time. But I might change that. Like I'm not I'm not married to any particular ideas. Might go to a universe where the where that rule's different. Might go to a universe where time travel is absolutely po- everything. Everything happens everywhere. Everything is everything everywhere all at once. That's the film. Mm-hmm. You know, everything is happening somewhere. Um, there is a universe where there is a giant turtle uh, with four elephants on its back on which a big disc sits as it swims through the universe. Um, and there's a universe 
where I'm not constantly referencing Discworld throughout this. I just have a bunch of oh, what a sad, sad right place now. that. Oh, and, there, and there's an, a, 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 a storyline in Doctor Who where um, uh, the whole point of what was wrong with the universe was that everything was happening all at once. Mm. You know, and time yes. was time was broken, and every and causality was broken, and everything was happening at once. The wedding of River Song, yes, the season yeah. six finale. It's it's actually one of my favorite stories from uh, from Doctor Who. It's so good. It is so. I mean, that those first two Matt Smith seasons are kind of a golden age of Doctor Who for me. Um, I I adore Matt Smith as the Doctor. I love Peter. Like I think my I think Peter Capaldi and Matt Smith are two of my favorite Doctors. I grew up watching the classic series. Um, you both knew my my dad. Mm-hmm. He grew up watching Doctor Who, and when I was a kid, you know he, you and know that was me. there. It was it yeah. was. You know, in the air you breathed. <laughs> exactly. It's genetic, you know. And, and one of the first things that my dad and I did when I moved to America, my dad moved out here in 97, as, as you both know. I moved out here in, in 2007, a decade later. The, mm-hmm. the, one of the first things that he and I got to do together, which is something that he'd wanted to do since I was a baby, was sit down and watch a brand new episode of Doctor Who together. And it was the season three finale uh, of Doctor Who, the uh, last of the Time Lords, mm-hmm. uh, the last of that three-parter with uh, John Sims, the Master, and uh, it hadn't aired in America yet, but I had downloaded it, and we sat in front of my computer that I had bought earlier that day, and we sat and we watched that together, and that is, uh, you know, that is the culmination of uh, of you know a lifetime of both he and I being huge Doctor Who fans, and I credit like. My love of science fiction and fantasy definitely comes from my parents. My parents were huge Doctor Who fans. They were huge Star Trek fans. There was—I remember—a um, a display cabinet in our in our living room when I was a kid that was just filled with uh, Star Trek collectibles. There was a set of uh, Star Trek micro machines and action figures and toy phasers. And oh, I wouldn't uh, know anything about that. She said, <laughs> looking at the whole bookcase of Star Trek. I think Stuff. I think there's a phaser over there on the shelf, and yeah. and micro machines. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Has, oh, and uh, has uh, dispensers. Star Wars, uh, not no, Star Trek. Star Trek, uh, space shuttle. Oh, yeah. and our our, uh, and, our a, and a Welsh dragon. I don't know what that's doing there, but it's. it's and a, <laughs> I don't know. And uh, one of my prized possessions is a Starship Enterprise telephone. And you pick up the saucer section and the top of the engineering hall and the nacelles, and that's the headset. And oh, it is it, wow. it 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 has buttons on the base, which are in the uh, you know the the Enterprise uh, insignia shape. And we can't use it because we don't have a landline anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. It yeah. It functions as a landline, and it's a touchtone phone, and uh, it is by far. The most painful, physically painful handset I have ever used in my life. But you used it. I I, tr- I did try it once or twice just to make to, just to make sure that it actually worked, and it does. Very uh, much your generation's hamburger phone. Yeah, it really is. Very much. It really it's, is. That's such a like it. It is such a specific thing from a different time in like phone technology. It, it would be like having a a Battlestar Galactica branded electric hot dog cooker. 
We actually do have a landline. Yeah, it's it's a uh, uh, phone over IP. It, it's it plugs. Well, I'm not paying for it. You're paying for it. Yeah. Oh. It plugs into the back. Like it, I we, know. It, it plug of we could plug a phone into the back of our router, and we have a phone number someplace. I don't know what it is. I, I don't think I've ever. <laughs> I don't think I've ever used it. Well, Spectrum they, they make knows it, you're paying for it, and yeah, I hope they, you yeah, don't ever do. remember that fact. Somewhere well, right and now, they make you pay for agent's it. brain has just gone ping, and you're going to get a sales call offering you $5 <laughs> off of your monthly bill. Don't get rid of the VoIP landline. Yeah, well, you can't, because it's you're, you're contractually obliga- obligated mm. to take it, whether you want it or not, whether you use it or not. You still have to have it. Remarkable. Uh, yeah. They 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 really get you coming and going. But you've always had Star Trek and and science fiction things around you, and of course that's sunk in, sunk into your creativity. Yeah, absolutely. It's you know it's difficult to avoid. It's it's weird because in the UK there's always this kind of been I, my memory of my family's love of things like Star Trek and Doctor Who is that it always came with this kind of tinge of embarrassment, which I never had. Like, I grew up watching Next Generation and Quantum Leap and Sliders, and I was right, at, it was the right age when Power Rangers first aired in the mm-hmm. UK. I was like eight years old. Perfect. And I, I, I loved these things with reckless abandon while my, you know, my family around me, my parents and, and, and their friends were always kind of gently, like, embarrassed by it. Um, and well, I it's, it all started with Star Wars in 1977. Yeah. I can I can give you the date on which everything changed, because yeah. suddenly it was it it made money and therefore it was legit, and yeah. that it was as simple as that. At least in my house, and and certainly in the uh, entertainment industry. Yeah, but before that, you know, if you liked Star Trek, you know, there was something wrong with you. It was something wrong with you. You couldn't. You couldn't. Uh, you couldn't share it with that fact with anybody, and you had to be I, I reserved that about growing that. Growing up, like I, I, as far as everyone else, I was, you know, I went to to school with like junior school, middle school, high school. I, I, my love of Doctor Who, like this was an, this was at this point an old TV show. Like it was cancelled when everyone in my class was like three, four yeah, years old. Yeah, I guess so. And I'm, I, I remember as a kid, I was also into the Ghostbusters, specifically the real Ghostbusters, the animated series. And one Christmas, my parents got me the playhouse of the uh, fire station. And anyone who had that toy, you you know, it had like the blue fireman's pole with the red stand oh, yeah, on it. You could put a figure on, you popped it. I would always take out the fireman's pole and jam it into the grill on the <laughs> roof of the station. And that was my TARDIS concept. Aha. <coughs> uh-huh. I get it now. Yeah. Well, that yeah, was a cartoon no that was a lot better than it needed to be. I was impressed. Oh, God, that show really does. And they, they've uploaded almost all of it to YouTube on the official Ghostbusters YouTube channel. You know who like was it. the head writer on that was J. Michael Straczynski, later known for yeah. things like, like Babylon 5. Did yeah, it, did it, he, it, he did a lot Babylon of work 5, for... Babylon 5, Superman, like, this is, it's all connected, you yeah. know? It's all, all of this fandom stuff is connected one way or another. Whether Wasn't Craig Miller to... one of the writers for that show as well? I don't remember. I'm not sure he went that far back. Hmm. We'll have to ask him on another episode of The Event Horizon. <laughs> that was, that, God, I have, I have the queen of segues today. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have, we're going to, uh, he's written a book, um, uh, Star Wars, Star Wars Memories. Memories, and we're going to have him, we're going to have him back awesome. to talk about that. Um, 
but but enough about us. Let's talk about you. What is next after Jump Leads? Well, first, um, first, first of all, uh, 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 April 26th is when Jump Leads episodes start dropping. Yep, the first episode goes out on April 26th. You can uh, find it by going to audio.jumpleads.zone. That's J-U-M-P-L-E-A-D-S dot zone. Or you can search for Jump Leads in your podcasting apparatus of preference. You could do that right now, in fact, because the trailer is out there. So you can subscribe to the feed and then uh, get notified when the first episode drops on April 26th. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, it's it's out there right now. Uh, I'm very very proud of it. I you mentioned earlier the sound design. I spent so much time. Uh, I'm spending so much time and care making the episodes sound polished, and you know, I, I think about everything from you know, like I, I I think about the 3D space that they're in and the the way that reverb and echo and you know location of where particular sounds are coming from, and I really kind of. The way that Big Finish do their Doctor Who audios, that's kind of my guiding light for mm. the sound design in, uh, in, in, in Jump Leads. They have really uh, redefined what audio dramas sound like now. I, mean, I, I think it was... I can't remember where, where I read this. I think it might actually have been on the Wikipedia page for, uh, for Big Finish. But they are the second largest producers of original audio fiction in the UK, right behind BBC Radio. Wow! I am not surprised they are out there, and and I, the thing I love about them because they started off doing Doctor Who audios, but they do so much other stuff now. They have original sci-fi, they have period pieces, they have adaptations of things like Dracula and Sherlock Holmes. Big Finish kind of live as a Doctor Who production house, but that's not all that they do. They're kind of known for Doctor Who, but. They do so much cool stuff, and I'm always like they have a. Well, they, it is a bit a, of a golden age for for um, public domain, isn't it? A lot, yeah. of, you know, pro, But you know. even even aside from that, like they have done an audio reboot of Space 1999. That hmm. is really good. really good. I, they're, I they're just always had a problem with the premise. You know, I just you there. With every story, you have some sort of a gimme. You know, this thing that you just are expected to accept on faith but with space 1999 no one could have survived it you know that was a really huge gimme (laughs) there's a suspension of disbelief that i i couldn't really get past i watched it anyway mind you (laughs) as as a high school student i uh I, i mean i'm sure the the audio drama is wonderful but uh uh from the science standpoint of it uh when i was in high school I did a sort of a quick um, layman's breakdown of what the physics would be, and I calculated that in order to move the moon that fast, you know, to to accelerate it that quickly, and and move it across the the amount of of uh, space that uh, uh, the moon would have to travel, they would have to apply so much energy to the moon that they would reduce it to plasma. There'd, wow. be, there'd be no surviving it. It would be just not. Splat. It would, yeah. It would not even be atoms. It would just be. Wouldn't even thank be strawberry. Heavens, jam. we prefer heady, believable science fiction, like an alien with a time traveling box that's bigger on the inside. Thank heavens. That thank we... heavens for that. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, that's with the, the sound design, kind of what Big Finish have always done with with their their stuff, Doctor Who or otherwise. I kind of wanted to 
kind of meet that level and i i feel like i've i'm almost there i i you know i don't i'm not a foley artist i'm not a you know a genius i'm figuring out how to edit and i learned to edit and do sound design um i do a doctor who role-playing game actual play podcast called the game of rassilon you can find that at adventures and in adventures in time and dot space and i was the gm for the first three seasons i'm a player for seasons four and five but i did the editing on that show last year for season four and that is where i kind of learned how to do sound design and mixing so if you if you've ever listened to the game of rassilon throughout season four you can hear me figuring out that craft and so i got a year of practice doing the game of wrestling and i got to take everything i learned doing those god 16 episodes of that show i want to say that's 16 like hour two hour long episodes and apply that to the six half hours that i've been doing for for jump leads and i um I really, I'm really proud of the of the writing on Jump Leads. I'm really proud of the performances. The cast really brought their A game. I do want to give a shout out to the cast, not just Dino Andrade and Marissa Mizell, but Chris Dorman and Amber Aviles, uh, Austin Lee Matthews, who is, uh, directed um, most of the episodes and plays a couple of characters. He's phenomenal. Uh, Lamar Harris does a guest turn. Uh, Dino's son Connor Connor Andrade who is the voice of one of the bears on We Baby Bears on Cartoon Network Mm -hmm. he has a cameo Um, the cast is absolutely incredible I'm so proud of I get to listen to their performances I'm still editing I've got like two episodes left to edit before we launch in in April Um, but I'm listening to their performances and and as, as proud as I am of the writing they really brought it to life and I am so thrilled by the way that this show sounds. I cannot wait. I'm, I'm the big fear I have right now is I put it out and nobody hears it. Um, but I am, regardless of how many people hear it, I am proud of every one of these episodes. And I'm gonna do a second season. I'm definitely doing a second season, aiming for that to, you know, be a second run of six next year. Uh, but uh, I'm I'm so proud of this, and I really hope that the people who find it and listen to it will enjoy it. I really enjoyed the first episode. Uh, it was just, it was so, it was, yeah, it's the difference between a, a pulp magazine and going to the Getty to, to, to see the Renaissance paintings. Mm. <laughs> it was so Yes, I understand exactly so what you good. mean. It was so good. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, it's means, right up there. Yeah, I mean, it's it it. It's the it, difference between me being sarcastic and a black adder takedown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, that I understood. Yeah. <laughs> I am all about the metaphor. After all, if not to illustrate a point, what's a metaphor? And metaphors be with you. About a meta meta three three and a half <laughs> yeah no more than 3.5 i'm sure ladies and gentlemen we have been speaking with ben padden and their exciting new audio project jump leads uh you can go to is it jumpleads.com it's jumpleads.zone jumpleads.zone which actually kind of makes more sense yeah jumpleads.zone and you can read the webcomic there, and you can listen to the trailer. 
and uh, the episodes will be released there uh, one at a time starting on uh, April 26th. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of The Event Horizon here on Sci-Fi.Radio. It's I, we've really missed you. It's been great missed having you. you. Too. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, uh, I'm I'm so glad that you enjoyed the first episode, and I'm glad I got to come here and talk about it at you and interact with you both. It has been. <laughs> I, we were talking before we started recording. It's been since at least pre-pandemic since the last time we. I think so. Yes. Together. Yeah. You have been listening to episode 258 of Sci-Fi.Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for April 1st, 2023, with your hosts, Susan Fox and Gene Turnbow. Our guest this evening has been Ben Padden, the creator of the science fiction comedy series Jump Leads, based on the webcomic, and making its audio drama debut on April 26th, 2023. For more information on Jump Leads visit jumpleads.zone. This episode will air again tomorrow, April 2nd, at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, and two more times on the following Thursday and Saturday mornings at 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern. Once all of the airtimes have passed, you will find this episode and others on iTunes, Stitcher, Pandora, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Podcasts, and on our own website at sci-fi.radio. Sci-Fi.Radio is listener-supported Sci-Fi Geek Culture Radio, and the vast majority of our funding comes from listeners just like you. We are asking you to visit patreon.com slash sci-fi radio and donate 5 or $10 a month to help keep the station on the air. It may not seem like a lot, but if everybody does it, together we can accomplish great things. That's patreon.com slash sci-fi radio. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was played by science fiction illustrator Mark Schurmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry. And the captain was voiced by science fiction grandmaster Larry Niven. This program is copyright 2023 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon on Sci-Fi.Radio. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. <laughs>